Hey guys, my name is Archie Engeldow. I have the privilege of being our Edgewood campus pastor. Um, I haven't got to see y'all in a while since October. Um, <laughs> thanks, Brian. Since October, we've been involved in Edgewood, and uh, God is doing a huge work in our community. I'm so excited to see what's happening. And um, Edgewood is growing, God's Spirit is moving, and I'm just excited to be here with you guys this morning. And so this morning, obviously we are in Hebrews chapter 8, and we are looking at the Old Covenant compared to the New Covenant, Old Testament to the New Testament, and what Christ has done for us. And so what better way to start this out is with an illustration video. And Pastor Brian, y'all bear with me for a minute. I know, some of y'all are laughing already. Pastor Brian helped us with this. And so... I'm going to step all the way for a second, and we're going to watch this video, and it's going to set up Hebrews chapter 8. So y'all watch this. There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep. saw this I was like wait a minute Brian is hiding a hidden talent that we did not know of and so I love this illustration because through the whole Old Testament the Jewish people merely just had a mere shadow or a mere copy of who Christ was we have Abraham we had Moses we had Joshua we had David we had the tabernacle we had the temple it all pointed to Christ it all pointed to the things to come the heavenly things and so they look at their law, and they could never live up to the law. It was a perfect standard. And so Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law. Seeing the works of Christ, when Christ came, walked on this earth, died for us, seeing the works of the Holy Spirit in our life, we are able to have a relationship with Jesus because of the Holy Spirit, and we're able to see who Christ really is and not just a mere shadow or mere copy anymore. And so for seven chapters now, we have talked about who Christ is. And today we're going to talk about the works of Christ and what he's done for us. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive into Hebrews chapter 8. Heavenly Father, we just thank you and we praise you for what you're doing in this community, what you're doing in our people, the life change. We thank you so much for coming and living a perfect, sinless life on our behalf, allowing us to have a relationship with you, that we can have eternity in heaven when we put our faith and trust in you. But be with this time, Father. Be with our hearts. Be with our, our minds. 
May we allow your word to resonate on our hearts so that we can go outside these walls and be the church, be the hands and feet, and proclaim the good news of you to others. We thank you and we praise you for this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, we're going to dive in. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty of heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. And so we see here that Jesus ministering to us from all authority in heaven, all authority. He is seated. And this is a contrast to the continually service that was in the priesthood under the law of Moses. The tabernacle at the temple, it had beautiful furnishings, but there was no place for the priests to sit down because their work was never finished. They always had to go make sacrifice for the people. Cody had touched on this last week, talking about the temple and what that looked like, how the high priest had to go in and make sacrifice in the room of the Holy of Holies where the veil was at for the people, continually having to make sacrifice. The work of Jesus, he finished all that. He is seated because his work is finished. And so I, I look at this and I see a works-based faith compared to a faith-based faith that we can have. And I think of Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For it's by grace through faith we're saved, not by works, so no man can boast. And I look at that, and I read that, and I'm like, okay, that was me. All my life I grew up in church, and I was a good person. I did good deeds. I treated people fairly. But it's not works that gets our salvation. It's our faith. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the good works comes out of that as a result so faith without works is dead. Going into verse 3. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, thus it is necessary for this priest to also have something to offer. Sacrifice was essential to make atonement for our sins. Jesus laid down his life for our sins. He never offered a sacrifice according to the law of Moses. He offered a better sacrifice himself. And we read 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There is nothing good in us apart from Christ. Amen. Nothing. Amen. We are not righteous on our own accord. God makes us righteous when we put our faith and trust in him because of what he has done. Verse 4. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. Cody touched on this last week, talking about how Jesus wasn't qualified to serve as an earthly priest. There were priests, plenty of them according to the law of Moses, that served as a copy and a shadow on earth of the heavenly things. But Jesus was the only one to qualify in the superior heavenly priesthood. The earthly service, though it was glorious in the eyes of man, it was just a mere copy or shadow of the heavenly service. In verse 5, it says, These priests, they served as a copy of shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. So when Moses was at Mount Sinai, and God was writing the Ten Commandments, this was all a pattern that God gave him. And so this does not mean that there are tents and buildings and heavens that were occupied here on earth that were copied but that there were representations symbolized 
here in the earthly tabernacle. Exodus 25:40 clearly states this, that what was built on earth, Moses' tabernacle, was made according to a pattern which existed in heaven. Jesus' ministry takes place in this heavenly temple, not in the copy and shadow here on earth. Verse 6 says, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. And so we read this and we go, okay, Christ's ministry is better. It's much more excellent than the old. So the old covenant, you had to continually work. You had to continually make sacrifices, but Christ came to be our sacrifice. So I read this and I'm okay, he's our guarantor. He's our co-signer. He mediates for us. He bridged that gap for us. And so we are separated from a holy God. Us over here, holy God over here. Our sin separates us from that. He mediated on that. He co-signed. He guaranteed. He bridged that gap. As Romans 3.23 says, for we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That separates us. God bridged that gap with Jesus for us. He's our co-signer. Verse 7, for if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. It was God that made this covenant. But it was the people that broke it. Our salvation is from God, but our sin and ruin are of ourselves. We are born of sin from the seed of Adam. We are separated from a holy God because of our sin. The law had a perfect standard. That's why Jesus had to come to fulfill that perfect standard for us. In verses 8 through 12, we're fixing to read. This is all from Jeremiah 31. And what's very interesting here is the book of Jeremiah was written 580 years before Christ was born. And so remember that because in a minute we're fixing to touch on that again. And this is some amazing stuff. And so you know, we're going to get through 8 through 12 here. For he finds fault with him when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So God's speaking of there's a new covenant coming. And remember, this is 580 years before Christ was even born. So he's speaking of a new covenant coming. He's wanting a relationship with his people. Verses 9, it's saying, Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant as I show no concern for them, declares the Lord. And so we look back at Mount Sinai and we look back at Moses on the mountain. They had just got taken out of captivity in Egypt, 400 years of bondage, slavery. God brings them out of that with Moses. Moses is on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, and what do the people do? They're making an idol for themselves, wondering where God is. Spiritual idolatry. This law that was on their hearts that God was trying to uh, create at this time is the first five books of the Old Testament called the Torah. We've referenced this back in chapter 6. This law fails to make us perfect. But remember, this law was written on tablets and scrolls. The day this law was introduced, as I just mentioned, the people failed God immediately. He did not leave the people. He still provided for the people. He still provided for them. He never left them, but his concern was for the next generation to go into the promised land. And that was for Joshua to continue at that point. Verses 10, and we're talking about for this new covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Amen, right? 
He's wanting a relationship with his people. He's wanting to put it in their hearts and put it in their minds. 2 Corinthians 3.2 says, And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. God is desiring a relationship with you people. Church, realize that. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to be in your heart. He wants to recreate your heart. This new covenant replaces an external relationship that the old covenant had, and it wants an internal, intimate relationship with you. God wants a relationship with you. He's always been about a relationship. And so we look at the greatest commandment, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength, and the second, love your neighbor as yourself. And so there would be no need for a law if we could keep that, right? But we're, we're born of sin. We live in a fallen, broken world. We're going to fail. We're going to stumble. But the person that puts those laws into our hearts and our minds to remind us of who God is and what he wants us to be, that's the Holy Spirit, and that causes a relationship. Verse 11 and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, for the least of them to the greatest. This is not saying that they shouldn't teach. Remember, this is written to Hebrew believers. As a believer, we should already have a relationship with God. And because of their faith, they should go and teach outside the walls of Judea, the areas of Judea, to people that don't know the gospel. And when God lives in our hearts, people see us living out our faith. They see our actions. They see the way we treat our, our family. They see the way we treat our coworkers. They see the way you run your business. And those actions, the Holy Spirit coming out of you, God sees that in you. And that's how you are the hands and the feet to proclaim the good news of the gospel. That's the plan, the redemptive plan of God's people to use you through the power of the Holy Spirit to keep sharing the good news. And you hear us say this all the time, fruits of the Spirit, fruits of the Spirit. Some of you get sick of hearing it, but some of you praise God when you hear it because you know what it is. And Galatians 5.22 clearly says the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. When people see those come out of you, those are attributes of a believer. Attributes of a believer. So when people see that in you, they go, that's God. That's, um, that, that's Christ working in their life. That's faith. That's an encouragement. And when we look back at the, the Jewish people in the old law and the Old Testament, they always seek to go to a rabbi to get all of their wisdom and all of their knowledge. And they would take all that wisdom and knowledge and they would just keep it to themselves. They look to the experts. And some of us today still have that mindset we can sit in this chair every Sunday and we can take up all this knowledge and wisdom that we're learning from God's word and we can keep it to ourselves. We won't go out this building. We won't go out these walls. We won't go into our workplace. We won't go into our home and we won't continue to share it. And why is that? May I remind you of who you are? In 1 Peter 2.9, it says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of God who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Amen. Amen. Proclaim. When you have had life change in Christ and he has done a work in you, he has healed your marriage, he has changed your family tree, you can't help but proclaim what God is doing in your life. Proclaim. The fruits of the Spirit will proclaim what God's doing in your life. You won't be afraid to hide it. You will go out and live it. 
May you do that. Be reminded of who you are. You are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. God loves you. God desires to have a relationship with you through the Holy Spirit and go out and proclaim what the good news has done in your life. This new covenant takes away insecurity and replaces it with wisdom of God's word. Wisdom of God's word. We're not insecure anymore of what God's word is because the Holy Spirit teaches us and models with us when we read God's word to go out and to share it, to teach it, to preach it, whatever God lays on your heart to do. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. And I look back at Peter. Peter walked with Christ for three years. What happened when Jesus was arrested? He denied Christ three times. Once to a schoolgirl. Schoolgirl. You fifth graders in here? The big old grown burly man. He was scared of you. But when the power of the living God, the Holy Spirit, came into Peter's life, when Jesus gave that to him, he stood boldly in front of the same people that arrested and persecuted Jesus on the cross, and he preached the gospel, and he was not afraid. And what happened? The Holy Spirit came on the Gentile people, and the church was formed because of the power of the living God speaking through this man. He was not afraid. God does not give you a spirit of fear. When the Holy Spirit lives in you, you go proclaim it, and you don't be afraid, and you be bold because you have no clue, no clue what God's going to do with you. This new covenant, we can all come to God as his children with his law written in our minds and with our hearts because of the Holy Spirit. Do not waste an opportunity to make God famous in your life. Do not waste it. When you feel God lay something on your heart, there's there for a reason. Be bold, proclaim it. Verse 12, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. That's an amen right there. That's like the most powerful statement we've said so far, guys. Iniquities. I think of the word iniquities, and I see this word crooked or crooked. And you think of a crooked path. And in our life, we got some crooked paths. We all do. We make mistakes. We fall. We can't stay in that straight line like we, like we want to, or like at least God wants us to, because we live in a fallen, broken world, and we're born of sin, right? We remember your sins no more. Guys, I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against him and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Jesus took the sin of the world on his back when he died for our sins. God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus, God in the flesh, to come to this broken, fallen world to reconcile and want a relationship with you. Reconciliation. It's always about reconciliation. God wants a relationship with you. He wants to reconcile what has been broken with his perfect standard and give us a chance and a hope with the glory in him. I like to look at it like this. As a parent, we can relate very well to this. But as a child, we fall. We stumble. You see your children trying to walk, and you get so excited that they're walking, but they fall. They get hurt. 
But you, you don't look at that. You look at the, they're walking, right? You're excited about them walking. And as an adult, we fall too. We fall hard. We stumble. But you know what God sees? When we love him and we're wanting to grow in him and we're striving to learn more about his word and we have a relationship with him, he doesn't look at you falling, folks. He looks at you walking and running towards him. This new covenant takes away the covering of sin as the old sacrificial system was, and it replaces it with for total forgiveness of our sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 13. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The old covenant was not bad. God did not make a mistake. Jesus was not plan B. Jesus was plan A from the very beginning. I, I think of this shadow thing. I keep looking back at that the old covenant was just a mere shadow, a mere copy of, of Christ to come, of the temple, the tabernacle. I keep thinking of that. And I found John MacArthur says this, A shadow has no substance in itself, no independent existence or meaning apart from what is a shadow of. It exists only as evidence of the real thing. And so I think of this. We were at a park Friday night, the family and some friends. And my daughter, y'all all know my daughter, she's got this beautiful blonde curly hair, right? And we're walking down the sidewalk, and it just got dark, and the security light came on behind us. And we're, I'm holding her hand, we're walking. And she was like, Dad, look, our shadows. And I was like, wait a minute. I'm supposed to be speaking Sunday about and I was like, God, what are you doing here? Because he's always doing something, right? Especially using our kids. And I was like, okay, okay, God, what are you teaching me here? What are you teaching me here? Let me see this. Let me see this. Don't let me miss this. And she's all saying, Dad, my shadow is almost as big as yours. And I, I see my shadow. I see that it's connected to my feet, right? I know it's mine. And I see her shadow, and I see it's connected to her. And I look at her. I see that blonde, beautiful, curly hair. I see her face. I'm holding her hand. I can feel her. But I look at her shadow, and I don't see anything. I can't see her face. I can't see that blonde, beautiful, curly hair. I can't feel the shadow. But then I think of these pictures. And, and I see this picture as just a mere copy of this one. And I think of the Old Testament. And I see how... The Jewish people merely just saw glimpses of Christ, a mere glimpse, a mere shadow, a mere reflection of the temple, the tabernacle, Abraham, Moses, Joshua, David. It was all pointing to Christ, but they never, they never got to hold his hand to feel him. They never got to walk with him. But when Christ came, the people did get to do that. They saw the healing. They saw the power. And then when Christ left, when he rose from the grave and went to heaven, he left us the Holy Spirit, but we can still feel him. We see the power of him working in our life. We can see the beautiful, the fruits of the Spirit come out of us. We see Christ living through us. And I got to thinking of my beautiful daughter. I got to think if all I ever saw was just her shadow. And I never got to hold her hand. And I never got to see her hair. I never got to see her. And, and my heart broke because there's so many people that still live like the old covenant. 
they can't see Christ who he truly is. They can't see his face. They can't feel him. But when we accept Christ into our heart, he wants that relationship with us. We can feel him. We can, we can know that we can walk with him, that he's always with us. He'll never leave or forsake us. An interesting note here that Hebrews was written between 64 and 67 A.D. And in Titus in A.D. 70, he destroyed the temple. And when we read verse 13, talking about the old covenant passing away, that was less than five years the temple was destroyed. So for the Levitical priesthood, their sacrificial system ended when the temple was destroyed in AD 70. But for us as believers, we know in this room that it ended when Jesus took his last breath on the cross, when he rose from the grave, then when he sent the Holy Spirit, when he ended the old covenant to want an intimate relationship with you on your hearts and on your minds. Y'all bear with me. This is sensitive, but I got to say this because I love you. So many of us still have that mindset of the Old Testament. We're trying to live up to the law and have that perfect standard in our life. What does that mean for us? Have we forgotten what Christ has done for us? He's fulfilled the law. He was our perfect standard. We can come to him with our broken hearts, our corrupt lives, and our sin. And we as the church find it comfortable to act like everything's okay. We as the church look at our life and we live our life like we're trying to still live up to the law. It's okay to not be okay. You will make yourself miserable your entire life if you live your life like everything's perfect. Satan is whispering in your ear that you are unworthy that you are worthless, that you can't do anything. But Jesus says the opposite. You have power through the Holy Spirit to go proclaim. Stop living your life like everything's okay and everything's perfect because Satan will just steer you the wrong direction. Allow Jesus to come into your life. Allow the healing to take place. Our, what's our motto here? No perfect people allowed. Nothing is perfect. There was a perfect standard to point us to the one that could fill that perfection for us, to let us know that we could not live up to it. Stop living like everything's okay and that you're perfect. How many people do you ask, how are you doing today? Everything okay? I'm good. I'm fine. No, you're not. It's okay. <laughs> Lay it at the feet of Jesus and let the healing begin. Christ's grace is sufficient. May we stop looking at a mere shadow of who Christ is in our life and may we seek his face and seek his word and seek his spirit and see who he truly is and who he wants to be in our life. Cody did a fantastic job last week. He left us last week with this question, what is your focus? What is your focus? Are you focused on heavenly things, eternal things? Are you focusing on worldly things? And that is a fantastic question. Because when I see that question, and he mentioned it last week about Romans 12, saying, I urge you, brothers and sisters, therefore, in God's mercy, I pray that you will be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That is your true and proper worship. 
so that you would have a transforming and renewing of your mind in Christ Jesus. How are we going to test and approve what God's will is at the end of Romans 12, 1 and 2, if we don't, his good and pleasing will, if we don't know who he is in our life, if we don't know his word in our life? How are we going to have a renewing of our mind in Christ Jesus if we don't have the spirit living in us? And so our focus to get off of this world, to focus on eternity, it all starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. It all starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. He wants that intimate relationship with you. He fulfilled the law. He was our perfect standard. And so my question for you today is what is your vision? What is your vision? And I'm going to use my wife here because she's not here right now. <laughs> this came to me a few nights ago when I was sitting at the dinner table and I was really, I was really hung up on um, this bottom line because we've gave y'all a bottom line for seven weeks now, and I'm like, man, we've had some really good ones. And I'm like, man, I, I can't come up with anything. And I'm like, God, you're gonna have to help me with this. And my wife's sitting there, and she sets it up for me. Like I'm talking like a golf ball on a tee. She set it up. She wakes up every morning, every morning. And she's blind as a bat. She can't see nothing. And a lot of y'all can relate to that in this room. A lot of y'all can. There you go. You definitely don't want her driving. She hurts herself, okay? She really hurts herself. But when she wakes up, she knows she's in her house. She can hear everything around her. She knows who's in her house because she can hear them, right? She knows what's going on around her, but she cannot... See clearly, when she puts her contacts in or puts her glasses on, she can see clearly. And so it's one thing to know God. It's one thing to know about Christ and see a mere shadow in a real copy. But until we have the right vision and see clearly, we can't see who God wants us to see, and that's Christ. And the only way we're going to see Christ is if he lives in us. And that way we can have a clear focus, a clear vision. But when we seek his word, seek him in prayer, seek his spirit, we can see his face clearly shining brightly through our lives, through the fruits of the spirit, because he has an intimate, inward relationship with us. I love you, church. 10 o'clock service, 11.30 service, I love you too. I didn't forget about you. Thank you all so much for... Allow me to speak to y'all this morning, and I hope to see y'all soon. Let me pray for you, church. Heavenly Father, just thank you so much for just allowing me to just be here today. I just pray that your word will just resonate on our hearts, resonate on our mind, and that we would go outside these walls and be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word, Father. Use us in a mighty way. Allow us to proclaim the good news. Proclaim it. And may we be bold. May we speak truth and love to those around us. And may we point them to you and not ourselves. Father, just this morning, protect our minds from Satan whispering to us that we're unworthy and that we can't do anything for you, Father. And may your spirit renew our hearts and recreate our hearts to have an inward relationship with you. And may we make you famous in this community in this world, for the life change to happen. 
We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.